Hello, my friends. I'm in Lethbridge, Alberta, covering the trial of the so-called Coots 3. That's the leadership group, according to the prosecutors, behind the blockade in Coots, Alberta, two years ago. But before we get to that, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's the video version of this podcast. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe. It's eight bucks a month. Good value for all the content, but more importantly, you help us stay independent. We don't take a dime from Trudeau and its shows. All right, here's today's show. Tonight, the leaders of the Coots border blockade are in court. I'll have all the details. It's February 26th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. morning, everybody. Ezra Levant here for Rebel News. As you can see, I am back in Lethbridge, my home away from home. I think I've been to this town maybe 20 times since the pandemic, all for the same reason. This is the courthouse that is handling all the charges emanating from protests, including the very momentous blockade at the border between Coots, Alberta and Sweetgrass, Montana. Dozens of charges emanated from that. Most of them were minor offenses, but some were more serious. We're here today because there's a pre-trial hearing in a case that really reminds me of that of Tamara Leach in Ottawa. It's the so-called leadership group of the blockade at the Coots border almost two years ago exactly. And it's really snowy and cold today, which is how it was at the blockade two years ago. The three men who were being prosecuted are Marco Van Hugenboss, who actually at the time was a local town councillor, and two other men, Alex Van Herk and George Jansen. They were part of the Truckers Council that was sort of like a ad hoc democratic governance of these truckers in the blockade. They've been charged by police with various mischief-like offenses, and Rebel News is doing two things. We are covering their trial, and I'll introduce to you the gentleman next to me in a second, and importantly, we're also crowdfunding their legal defense. Each of the men has their own lawyer. So there are three lawyers that we are crowdfunding. I'm delighted to say that because this is a civil liberties case, our crowdfunding funds go through the Democracy Fund, which issues a charitable tax receipt. So if you want to make a donation, you can do so at coots3.com. At that same website, you can help us cover our journalistic costs, which are completely separate. And which brings me to the two journalists standing next to me, Robert Krejcik, who's come in from Ottawa, and Sidney Fizard, who has come down from Calgary. Let's start with Sid. Nice to see you. Sid, you were there embedded in the blockade pretty much the whole time. Why don't you recap for our viewers what you saw and heard and experienced in real time at the blockade? Uh, well, absolutely. I was there for 16 days in total. It was 18. Uh, we arrived on the third day, roughly. And from there, obviously, it was a peaceful protest, as many people know, much uh, like the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa. Uh, that persisted, and there was quite literally nothing the RCMP could do to end demonstrations. Likewise, political messaging, especially from the former premier, uh, to end all vaccine mandates was expected to be a big win for them. But that didn't work either. So political avenue failed, the enforcement avenue failed. Uh, and then eventually, the, the blockade did end peacefully uh, to prove that message uh, loud and clear and uh, in September months after the blockade there were three individuals who Alex Marco and George alleged to be key participants of the blockade uh, facing uh, mischief charges over 5,000 now. 
Well, I'm so glad you went down there. And I remember when you and Kian Simone went down, we thought it would be like a day trip or two, but you guys wound up staying, as you said, for more than two weeks. Um, it was bitter cold. Tell us a little bit more about what it was like on the ground. Coots is a tiny town. It's not even a town. I think it's a village. Uh, there's a saloon. There's some border you know, crossing buildings. It really is a small place. And I think that's one reason the men were able to hold out for so long. In Windsor, Ontario, in Ottawa, Ontario, there's massive police presence very close by. There's a lot of tow trucks. There's a lot of machinery. Coots is miles away from really anything. And I don't think the police or other officials could muster the sheer physical power to push the guys out. What was it like when you were there at the saloon? Well, that's absolutely it. It was a barren wasteland. Uh, not to say it was a wasteland. I, I respect the town of Coots. It's a very lovely place. But uh, it was absolutely empty. And one of the key things I think here is that uh, what a lot of people don't realize is the RCMP barrier that was set up around the Coots blockade nearer to the town of uh, Milk River, where we saw thousands of people come to show their support, they were being stopped there from going into the blockade. But likewise, those people who were there since day one, who were the you know blockade as it were, and their supporters, if they were to leave with their vehicles, there would be no going back to the Coots blockade. So after 16 days, these guys had been there the whole time because they weren't allowed to leave and come back. And likewise to the conditions today, it was negative 35 worse with uh, horrible uh, winter conditions and, and wind that was coming across. And one of the big requests early on was simply to get food and fuel and other such essentials to the blockaders because police were blocking everything off. And now after 16 uh, days, we see that these alleged key participants may have just been the most vocal in the bunch that were trapped there, as opposed to being, you know, the, the supreme underlord organizers of such a gang. Very interesting. So it's almost like the police had a siege wall around the whole place, not very close to it, but I remember Milk River. Uh, I remember the efforts that uh, some of the protesters made to bring food down there because you have all these men. It's not it's not a custom. Now, I want to switch gears for a second. Robert, you've just arrived in Lethbridge last night. Um, I think your greatest contribution to Rebel News so far has been your daily intensive coverage of the trial of Tamara Leach and Chris Barber. Tamara Leach, very famous for being, I call her sort of the spiritual leader of the Ottawa convoy. Uh, very mild-mannered, soft-spoken. She was thrown in prison for 49 days before her hearing. She was treated very abusively, in my mind, by the government. Very political trial. The trial has been stretched on. The process and the punishment. My theory, Robert is that what you see here in Lethbridge will draw upon the lessons you've learned in your coverage of Tamara Leach. That's my theory. What do you think? Well, to be determined, as I observe events as they unfold beginning today and across this week and s several weeks in uh, April, we'll see whether or not that commonality, that common thread is accurate. I suspect that it will be. And given what Sid was just saying about the role of the defendants that will be appearing today, they were the sort of leaders, the most vocal, I think, is the way you describe them relative to those who were attending this blockade in Coots. And that applies, of course, uh, in a parallel sense to what we saw from Tamara Leach and Chris Barber in that they were both, uh, to use your term for Tamara Leach, spiritual leaders. They were organizational heads of this Freedom Convoy, which, of course, could not be tolerated by the authorities given their political investment in what I call the COVID-19 enterprise. So, if that's true, then we'll see that these men are being targeted with these uh, charges, including mischief and some other lower level charges, uh, because of their prominent roles and in order to send a message. But that will be determined as events unfold.
Now, uh, tell me a little bit about the routine you got into in Ottawa covering the trial. I, I attended for one day and my eyes glazed over because they were bringing witnesses that didn't know anything about Tamara Leach, never met her, never talked to her. It was clear they were just to talk out the clock and just to a fog machine. I'm not sure how it'll go here. Like you say, to be determined. I mean, one of our mottos at Rebel News is follow the facts wherever they lead. Um, are there any uh, things that really left a, a, a imprint on you from covering the Tamara Leach trial it, uh, about prosecutorial zeal, about political motivations of prosecutions? Because I, I have to say, I, I think that if there wasn't politics behind the Tamara Leach case, I think it, I don't know if that case would have ever gone to court at all. And if it did, it would have been a half day trial and would have been over. I really think we're seeing the politicization of prosecutions. That's something we normally associate with the banana republic. Okay, I agree with your assessment. I wasn't paying close attention at the time that the previous prosecutor for uh, the Tamara Leach and Chris Barber trial was there. His name was what, Karimjeet, remind me? Uh, Moise Karimji, and he was, he was a senior Liberal Party donor. He was so vengeful and emotional. Thankfully, the government replaced him as a prosecutor just a few months before trial, which is such a rare thing, i got to tell you. They worked on that Tamara Leach investigation and prosecution for more than a year, and then they dropped the lead prosecutor before trial because he was obviously out of control. I think there's something similar going on here. There's a prosecutor named Stephen Johnson who's going after pretty much anyone who did anything in Coots. He was the prosecutor who went after uh, Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky. I get the same vibes from him. He's angry. He's thin-skinned. This has become, you know, it's like he's uh, searching for Moby Dick or something. This is a quest for him. I don't think that's how prosecutors ought to be. And... I don't think Danielle Smith wants to meddle in prosecutions, and she probably shouldn't. But boy, it feels like it's a personal mission rather than a public mission. So I'll share a broad observation, and then I'll go into some specifics about your original question on the day-to-day. I think, in general, there's a lot of politicization of the so-called justice systems, not just in Canada, but the United States and the broader Anglosphere. And uh, as you were describing the previous prosecutor in the Tamara Leach and Chris Barber trial, it's not just a vendetta in my view. Again, I'm engaging in some mind reading here, but they view it as a political opportunity to develop themselves, to create brands for themselves that can then sort of uh, monetize for greater political gain. And you see you see this in the U.S. with respect to Donald Trump and a bunch of other cases. Now, in terms of the day-to-day occurrences and what I've observed in terms of uh, political aspects or the nature of the process that you found unbearable, uh, by the way, I've got a thick skin so I can endure that sort of uh, tediousness, the prosecutors that replaced the previous prosecutor themselves were much more measured. So if the government's intent was to diminish the likelihood of them appearing overzealous and overaggressive and personality-driven and political, then they did that in terms of demeanor and style because uh, Siobhan Westcher and Tim Radcliffe, the two prosecutors in the Timur Leach and Chris Barber trial, again, are very well put together and professional in their demeanor now. But what about the specifics? The, the nature of the evidence was very much absurd. You had a bunch of witnesses, okay, auto residents, who were invited to testify about the harms they claim to have suffered as a function of the Freedom Convoy demonstration in Ottawa. And none of these people had even encountered Chris Barber, Tamara Leach. That's quite crazy. They cannot provide specific evidence or observations or anecdotes about the very two people as defendants. They were, they were going through a therapy session, not a prosecution of two individuals whose liberty was hanging on the line. Yeah, absolutely. And even one of the protesters, um, sorry, not the protesters, one of the witnesses, what was her name again? Zen Shi Li. She was like a um, sort of professional protester. 
she had gained notoriety among us, those of us, let's say, in the freedom movement, if I can use that term, but she had developed a reputation for herself on the left, if I'll call them that, as being this professional victim and whining about uh, supposedly being threatened and harmed, no evidence provided, and then she was elevated in some other ways uh, as far as her initiation of this lawsuit, which brought upon this what was the term? It was like a sort of a judgment, a sort of a prohibition uh, against honking in Ottawa. I think they call that an an injunction. An injunction. Uh, now I got to say, I mean, I was I was in Ottawa for a few days for the trucker convoy. The honking was loud, and I actually think that the judge who said, "Look, no honking in the residential areas," I I can't I can't say I'm mad at him. I mean. Honking is a way of expressing uh, yourself, but I think it did lower the temperature, and and there were some people who couldn't sleep. I think that that was exaggerated. That was the worst thing the truckers did. They got some parking tickets, and they honked their horns, and then they had a bouncy castle and hot tubs. I sort of love the fact that the horn honking was the worst yes. they did. In fact, they, they really didn't get out of their trucks. They didn't go into any building like the January Sixers did, and... The fact that horn honking was the worst they could say about him shows how peaceful it was. And one, uh, and, and I think that was the trait of the blockade at Coots. It was peaceful. And Rebel News sent down a, a tag team of lawyers, Chad Williamson and his colleagues. They sort of rotated through the blockade at Coots, talking to the men one-on-one, telling them their rights, uh, giving them suggestions and warnings. Don't bring firearms was something they said every day. And... And I think that the lawyers we sent helped lower the temperature there. And um, we'll see what happens in court. Now, Sid, since you knew the men even before these charges were contemplated, you went down there, you were embedded in um, the protesters. We've already published one documentary that people can see at rebelnewsplus.com about the Coots blockade. We've published several documentaries about the, the convoy movement. You're working on a biographical piece. Just give us a little bit of a heads up of, uh, I mean, these three men, Marco, Alex, and George, I don't know them very well. I've met them a couple of times. You spent some time with them. What story are you going to tell in your biographical piece that you're working on? Uh, well, in preparations for their trial, uh, I had sat down and done a, a long-form interview with Alex uh, Van Herk, Marco Van Hugenboss, and George Jansen, the three accused of uh, uh, mischief here. Uh, so this is to give people a bit of perspective on who they are. It'll be three reports, you know, to individualize them, uh, because oftentimes in, in these stories, people get clustered together. Uh, but George was a person. He's a, a real estate agent. He, he lives in small-town Alberta. He's got a bunch of kids. He loves his family, and that's what he does every day. He, he works for his family, and he, he got caught up in the Coots blockade demonstrations like thousands of people across Alberta, to say the least. Uh, and he was one of the individuals who was quite literally stuck there. If he were to have left, then it was game over for him in protesting. So he stayed. And now he's being punished because perhaps, as he mentioned, 75% of the people that went down there roughly were truckers, at least in the beginning. Um, he's a real estate agent. He talks to people every day. He, he sells houses. Yeah. I'm sure he's going to be a much better communicator than a bunch of truckers who, not, not disrespectfully, but they'll spend most of their time isolated. Yeah. Whereas you've got a real estate agent, yeah. you've got a, a Fort McLeod town councillor, another person who's going to be a good, good at communicating. Yeah. Um, and then Alex Van Herk, uh, he just seems like a great uh, Southern Alberta entrepreneur. And, and it seems largely like they are being targeted because of just simply being upright people. Um, and, and that's hopefully what we'll dispel here is that they weren't some violent criminal organization. It was simply a bunch of guys who showed up at the border, uh, uh, save organization. It was very grassroots. Yeah. And the very fact that the prosecutor, I heard him last week, describe these three men as the leadership group, suggests that 
the leadership is what they did wrong, not a crime. The, their crime was leading a political protest, the most effective, peaceful political protest. We should remember that these two protests, the Ottawa convoy and the, the Cooch blockade, I think were the most poli effective political protests in modern Canadian times. In the case of the Cooch blockade, I think it is directly responsible for Jason Kenney dropping his mandates and frankly, a few months later, being booted out of his party. And in Ottawa, if you look at the polling, that's when Justin Trudeau started to trend down, because when he brought in the Emergencies Act in an unforced error, it showed his authoritarian nature. It showed that his happy days, sunny ways was just a, a facade. And by the way, it also got rid of Aaron O'Toole as the leader of the Conservative Party and installed through a democratic process, a more conservative, conservative leader. I think those are two enormous changes, and, and that last one, we have yet to see the fruits of it. I think it might have actually spelled the doom for Justin Trudeau. So I think that when, when the prosecutor calls them the leadership group, it's their leadership he hates, yes. not the crime of hanging out in a saloon. Well, and maybe if I can just add one point to that, is it, it really was probably the most democratic thing I've ever seen at the Coots blockade, because out of the 50, 60 or so truckers, they all came in to have a meeting about every decision. And it wasn't necessarily that Alex, Marco and George were deciding what's on the roster. No, everyone was deciding what's going to happen here. They were simply the guys who understood what everyone was agreeing to. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because we've learned from the other cases that there were undercover cops in there. There were uniformed cops in there. There was all sorts of, you know, it was all sorts of uh, people, some of whom knew each other in advance, some of whom didn't. Some were interlopers just looking for some excitement. Some were rooted in the community. We're going to learn a lot more about it. Well, listen, I'm so glad you guys are here. Sid, you were there literally before it, you know, right when it started, and you and Kean actually signaled to us at Rebel World Headquarters, we need some help here. And that's when we crowdfunded the lawyers to go embed in the blockade. And to this day, the lawyers have been defending the men. Robert, this is your first trip to Lethbridge, am I right? Yeah, first time here. And I haven't been to Alberta since I was a kid with my parents on a road trip to like Banff and Jasper. So yeah. I'm sorry it's so cold uh, to welcome you out here, but I think you'll find the people warm. Um, all right, so that's our sort of our scene setter. We've got a few days of pretrial hearings. We have to be very careful that we follow the publication bans. And there's good reasons for publication bans. It's because you don't want untested evidence to be circulating in the community. If there's going to be a jury, you don't want them to be tainted by that. So we want to follow those rules. Uh, all three of us. I know Sydney and I are accredited with, with the Alberta Court of King's Bench, and, and I know that you're registering as official media also. And one of the things you have to do is promise to keep uh, publication bans, and we absolutely will because we want to follow the rules and we don't want to jeopardize the, the trial. So that may limit some of the things you can report. Um, because we're friends with the lawyers and friends with the men, we can talk to them about the case, but again, we want to be careful. We don't want to interview the, the three men in a manner that would get them to say anything that would be harmful to their case. And I think they're big boys and they know that also. So I think we would keep our conversations with them fairly general. And, um, you know, there's going to be the three lawyers for the men that we can talk to. I know that in Ottawa, you really got into a good rapport with Lawrence Greenspan, the lead lawyer for Tamara Leach. And I thought that was very helpful for your journalism. So there you have it. That's our scene center. It is so cold. I'm losing uh, feeling in my fingers. Same. We're going to go in. The hearing starts at 10. We'll be in there a little bit early to make sure we get seats because they're having this tiny courtroom. Alex Van Herk told me the other day his, his family alone would fill up 
that courtroom. So I don't know why they're having it in such a t- tiny courtroom. Uh, a conspiracy theorist might say they don't they don't want uh, a large public presence. Guys, I'm counting on you to do great journalism here. This is a story that Rebel News has owned from the beginning, not just as observers, but as people who stepped in to fix the problem. I truly believe in my bones that had we not sent lawyers into the blockade, bad things would have happened. I believe our lawyers helped lower the temperature, let the men know their rights, and act as sort of a lubricant between them and the cops. I also think that our uh, journalism here is going to be very factual. We're sympathetic to the men. Obviously, we're helping them, but we're also going to follow the facts wherever they lead, and we're going to recall it like we see it. And finally, I'd like to say to our viewers, if you want to help pay for the defense of these three men, you can do so at coots 3 There's two different buttons on that page. One is to chip in to the lawyers who are defending the three men. The other is to chip in to our economy class accommodation here in Lethbridge. Robert flew in all the way from Ottawa. He's staying in and and the economy Wyndham Suites. Is that right? It's like about 100 bucks a night or something. Something Either way, the point is it's uh, not free. It's not free, but but it is modest. I mean, listen, it's Lethbridge. There's no five-star hotels here. It's not a luxury town. We're here to work. If you can help us cover the costs of our excellent journalistic team, please do. If you want to help cover the costs of the, of the lawyers, please do. You can do all of that at coots3.com. Thanks for your support. We're going to go in now. Well, that's the video we recorded this morning. Here's a video that my colleague Robert Krejcik did with two of the defendants, Alex Van Herk and Marco Van Hugenbos. So I'm here with Alex. I'm also here with Marco, two of the defendants whose proceedings began today. Just want to let you guys know out the gate that there is a publication ban issued by the judge. So we cannot discuss the proceedings of today. And that publication ban is put in place in order to prevent any tainting of the jury. In other words, if we were to speak about proceedings today publicly and people who would end up on the jury ended up seeing it, it may prejudice their thoughts going in. So, gentlemen, you've been waiting two years for this day. Uh, Why don't you tell me what's going on, what's on your mind, difficulties with families, these sorts of things, and what it feels like to be here today? Well, I'm uh, definitely thankful that we're we're here and that we're finally moving forward with this prosecution. Um, these charges have been uh, laid since uh, September of 2022, and uh, it, it's it's been a long time coming. And even though um, you know the, the, the future is uncertainty with uh, with a, with a charge this serious and. Uh, the uh, possible ramifications of that charge and to some degree life has been put on hold for uh, for myself uh, for for my family and the you get used to the constant overbearing pressure of this all but uh, i'm really thankful that finally we're here in court to uh, address some of these uh, pre-trial applications uh, without speaking to uh, what happened in court i feel that uh, my defense did a phenomenal job in um, in presenting themselves and uh, i uh, for the first time uh, was able to um, to uh, experience uh, the justice uh, that is a, that has been appointed to our prosecution, and so far I think things have gone uh, very fair and very uh, orderly, and that's that's a good start. That that is ultimately what we're looking here, uh, looking for here is that um, that justice be done, and that the um, that it's not us having to um, uh, remove our guilt, but that our that we are here able to. Um, uh, uh, for them, that, that they have to challenge our our um, our guilt and not uh, that we have to prove our innocence. So, Alex, same question for you. Yeah, thanks, Ian. I'm thankful for the supporters that came in this morning to support us. Uh, we really appreciate that. Uh, like I say, we, we got both got, all got big families. 
Um, yeah, there again, our, our defense did a great job of articulating what we're, you know, what we're after here. Um, and without, like say, getting into the detail, I, I felt they did a good fight of trying to articulate what we want and what we'd like the, the jury to be able to do to get a fair and honest jury um, and what their abilities could be. So yes, no, um, I appreciate you know Rebel News supporting us and, and being here for us. And uh, like I say, I, I hope that people keep remembering why we stood there, why we stood on that line for 18 days and uh, you know stand by us uh, with being here in court. Okay, you're getting ahead of me with my last question because I know it's freezing outside. We all want to go for lunch. So, Alex, on that point, in terms of why you were here, why you were demonstrating over at that Coots border crossing between Alberta and Montana, the U.S. and Canada, tell us what was that about? What was the motivation behind that? What was the purpose of that? What incited you guys to go and do that protest? Well, it was the mandates that were being imposed upon the truckers and all Canadians. Um, it was, it was, they were illegal. There was, you can see now as, as after this happened, uh, of all these mandates that were being imposed, that if we went to stood up, do you think how many lives would have been lost more? Um, so thankfully, you know what, the mandates were lifted and changed, and how many people weren't, uh, you know, got to see and were had to stop of getting the jab and being able to go cross the line and, and drive truck again. So I feel we saved a lot of people's lives, and and we changed, I think, history. Um, from what was happening in our tyrannical government. We were living in a tyr tyranny at that time. Uh, Marco, you, Marco, you want to add to that? Yeah, I'm not, not to repeat anything uh, my friend uh, here mentioned. And when I say friend, he actually is my friend and not the way they use the word friend in the courts. It kind of makes my stomach turn at times. But um, to be honest, the convictions we had while we were there are, are still there. And if anything, they, those convictions have been... been um, they, they've been become mainstream in the public you know we see the uh ingram decision we see that in alberta the mandates and the health measures that were passed down and approved by the politicians are now deemed to be illegal they did not have the authority to do that so while we are here uh, in front of the courts where they're looking to prosecute us for those 18 days on the border i say to i say to the public and i say to them what about the prosecution of those who forced blue-collar and white-collar law-abiding individuals to to behave in such drastic measures where is the accountability for those who were elected to represent us and that to me is 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 the big fight and unfortunately um that is a that is a focus that mainstream media uh doesn't want to or le legacy media doesn't want to focus on but that has to be the question moving forward that while we can prosecute all of those who who may have behaved in in in, in a manner that isn't um, approved by society during a, an, an event that was tyrannical, like my friend mentioned. And a preamble of our Charter of Rights and our human rights is actually, it says, whereas it is essential, if man is not to be compelled to have recourse as a last resort to rebellion against tyranny and oppression, that human rights should be protected by the rule of law. Yeah. Um, where is the accountability and where is when will those in in positions of responsibility hold those who were in positions of responsibility to account? Well, that's a bit of the flavor of today, but I'm frustrating that I can't give you more details. That's because it's under a strict publication ban. The reason for that is they don't want to compromise the jury and fair enough. But Robert will be here covering the totality of the trial of the Coots 3. Unlike the Coots 4 or the Coots 5, there's a bunch of different 
similar trials, but the Coots Three are what the prosecutors called the leadership group. Not only will we be doing our journalism, but in fact, through the Democracy Fund, we are crowdfunding the lawyers for these three men. To learn more, go to Coots3.com. Well, that's our show for today from Frosty Lethbridge. I'm going to head on back to our world headquarters tonight, so I'll see you next from our studio there. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel News, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.